Hi, I'm Gavin Givanoni. I'm a neurologist at Barts in the London School of Medicine and Dentistry, and I'm talking to you today about a patient who got really upset with me when I suggested he may have multiple sclerosis despite having a near normal MRI scan. Anyway, he was referred to me for a second opinion, <coughs> and uh, when you actually reviewed his history, um, it's likely he had multiple sclerosis. Um, when you went back into his neurological history, it had a previous episode of facial weakness that had been diagnosed as Bell palsy several years ago. Uh, and this was considered to be unrelated to his current issues. Uh, in the recent past, he had an, had an episode of vertigo with unsteadiness of gait and this was diagnosed by his family doctor and the ear, nose and throat surgeon he saw as a possible vestibular neuronitis. Several months after this, he had an episode of numbness and clumsiness of his left hand, uh, which is why he was seen by a, another neuro neurologist. Uh, when I examined him, he had jerky eye movement, so he had nystagmus. Um, he still had some mild facial asymmetry due to residual weakness from his Bell's palsy. And uh, he had weakness and loss of sensation in his left hand that was persistent from this last attack. So as far as I'm concerned, these three, uh, there were signs of at least three, or, uh, at least three, well, there were signs of three lesions, possibly even uh, uh, um, two lesions, depending on how the uh, uh, brainstem lesion, which pathways it's affected. Um, but I was pretty confident that this individual had dissemination in time and space. I did review his MRI scan and he had a lesion in the brainstem which is likely to be the one that caused his vestibular symptoms, uh, not the Bell's palsy um, because it was a little bit of away from the facial nerve. Um, and his MRI of his spine um, was suboptimal. They had done uh, images, but they didn't do what they call, we call fine cuts through the spinal cord or axial cuts. So I wasn't happy that the spinal imaging was good enough. Anyway, I suggested to him that uh, he probably had MS because of the three attacks separated in time uh, and he had dissemination in space as well. But I wasn't 100% confident. I wanted him to have repeat MRI to see that new lesions and to repeat the imaging of the spinal cord in more detail. And I also wanted him to have a lumbar puncture to see if he had the local synthesis oligoclonal IgE bands, which are helpful in the diagnosis. Anyway, he got really upset with me and refused to have any further investigations and actually put a complaint in about me uh, because I had contradicted his initial neurologist's diagnosis. You know, so the knee-jerk response is, well, why does this gentleman want a second opinion when he had one that he trusts and doesn't trust me? Well, I think he was hoping that I would undo the diagnosis uh, that his original neurologist had given him of clinically isolated syndrome. Um, <clears throat> I suspect that the other neurologist um, made a diagnosis of CIS because he wasn't happy that there weren't more lesions on MRI scan and that would allow him some breathing space to watch and see what happens. And, you know, in neurology, um, sometimes time is the best diagnostician. If this gentleman was going to develop MS, he would go on to develop lesions. Um, <clears throat> I'm a little bit against that because if somebody has MS, they have MS. And the whole strategy of treating multiple sclerosis is to try and prevent new lesions from forming and uh, as a preventive strategy, in other words, prevent disability. Because who knows the next attack this gentleman may have could be a catastrophic spinal cord relapse that leaves him in a wheelchair. That's un un unlikely to happen. 
but I have seen catastrophic spinal cord relapses occurring in people just like this. And so you don't really want to not uh, treat this gentleman because uh, his MRI scan doesn't support your worldview of MS. Uh, he either has MS or he doesn't, and he needs further investigations. <clears throat> and this is the reason why I'm putting up this case study is because this issue of a normal MRI or a MRI that's not typical of MS is very topical at the moment in the United Kingdom, sim simply because there was a recent case reported by the BBC uh, five days ago on the 6th of October of a patient who turned out to have MS that was not diagnosed sooner. In other words, uh, he was told by his neurologist he didn't have MS and he was told there's nothing wrong with him and they were actually referring him to a psychologist. I assume they thought he had a somatization disorder, uh, which is a disorder where you don't have uh, real neurological problems, but it's uh, the issue psychiatric. Anyway, he put a complaint in and the ombudsman who investigated his case found that uh, sadly this uh, individual had suffered significant injustice after a neurologist had failed to diagnose him with multiple sclerosis. Um, and the patient actually in the follow-up interview, and it's actually online, you can watch it on the BBC website, felt that doctors did not believe him. And uh, reading between the lines, uh, I think this patient was likely to have suffered medical gaslighting, which is this term where uh, doctors refuse to uh, listen to their patients or at least acknowledge uh, what they're talking about. Um, I would refer you back to two newsletters I wrote uh, in August on medical gaslighting. <laughs> Um, and um, the second one is the survey I did on, uh, of readers on the uh, of the MSL in newsletter about how common this is, and I was completely shocked by the gaslighting um, uh, survey. And I'm in the process of writing it up as a small publication with a with a person who has MS uh, to give it some credibility, and hopefully we can highlight this for the MS community that this is an issue. People with multiple sclerosis often prior to diagnosis um, uh, aren't believed uh, or aren't listened to. And uh, it seems to be a problem, um, it seems to be a greater problem with women, uh, which is not surprising because uh, MS is more common in women. But even then, adjusting for the number of people who complain about it, um, women were much more likely to have be medical gaslighted than uh, men. I also want to make the point that MS is not a macroscopic uh, or MRI-scopic disease. MS is a biological disease, okay, and the diagnostic criteria don't re necessarily require an abnormal MRI scan. I mean, you can show dissemination in time and space using clinical criteria alone, uh, and even then you can use a lumbar puncture to help support the dissemination in time, because if you find local synthesis of oligoclonal IgG bands, those so-called OCBs, which is a fingerprint of the inflammation in the spinal around the spinal cord and brain, then that is sufficient to well, help support the diagnosis of dissemination in time. So the diagnosis of MS remains clinical uh, and not necessarily dependent on having an abnormal MRI. Uh, obviously, an MRI is required because you often need to do an MRI to exclude other diagnoses, MS mimics, rather than to help diagnose multiple sclerosis. Saying that, no, when you have an uh, MRI scan that's full of lesions, you can, use the MRI, you can use MRI criteria to fulfill the dissemination in time and space. Okay, but you don't necessarily need, okay, uh, an abnormal MRI or a MRI that's typical of MS um, to consider the diagnosis. Now, I am aware that um, it takes a brave neurologist to uh, diagnose MS 
um, with a normal MRI scan. Um, but I think it's important not to exclude MS based on a normal MRI scan. You can't exclude multiple sclerosis. So sometimes watchful waiting um, uh, is necessary if you feel uncomfortable putting somebody on a disease-modifying treatment uh, based on a normal MRI scan. I know for a fact that MS is a microscopic disease because when you look under the microscope, you see many more lesions than you see with the naked eye at post-mortem. And a lot of the parts of the brain, uh, particularly the gray matter and the deep gray matter, are not visible by MRI scan without, without routine MRI scans. And, and we now know from path detailed pathological studies that at least half, probably more than half, the disease burden is occurring in what I would call MRI invisible parts of the brain. <laughs> so uh, um, please be aware that a tiny lesion in a strategic part of the brain can cause a clinical attack or relapse and you don't have a lesion there. And the one I always use an example is this condition called an internuclear ophthalmoplegia, where you've got a tiny lesion in the brainstem uh, taking out a particular pathway that connects the two uh, um, nerves of the eye. And what happens is when somebody looks left or right, they get double vision because they can't uh, abduct, take the eye out. Um, uh, I mean, um, they can't uh, abduct and take the eye in the the eye that goes out goes out, and the other eye stays uh, in the in the in the midline position. And they get double vision because of that. And we know from studies when you MRI people looking for lesion in that area where this pathway runs, more often than not, you don't find a lesion. In other words, it's too small to be seen on an MRI scan. And a typical MRI will pick up lesions of three to four millimeters or larger. Uh, so anything smaller than that uh, won't be seen on an MRI scan. But a lesion smaller than that can cause clinical attacks. Uh, and this is quite frequent uh, in, in some critical areas of the brainstem. And similarly, we can, uh, similar phenomena may, may occur in the spinal cord, for example. Anyway, I, I've just added in a, a study that was done, a post-mortem study, just showing you how much uh, disease activity occurs in the MRI invisible parts of the brain, particularly the surface or the cortex. Uh, which aren't seen with our standard imaging technologies. Maybe in the future with better MRI scanners, better sequences, we are beginning to see these lesions, but they're not part of routine diagnostic uh, uh, scanning protocols. Um, we sometimes pick up th this pathology by looking at brain volume loss, for example, because those lesions that are affecting the gray matter are responsible for uh, thinning the cortex and, are must, and, are, and contribute to brain volume loss. And we have to infer them there indirectly. So this is a interesting uh, case of mine. Um, uh, I suppose in retrospect, I should have been a little bit more empathetic. Um, I think this gentleman was in denial and he was looking to be undiagnosed and I didn't pick up his anxiety and denial and maybe I would have dealt with the diagnostic pathway a little bit differently by not coming out, I think you've got MS. I want to do some more investigations to confirm my suspicions. I should have said, um, your previous neurologist diagnosed you with CIS. That's reasonable. Uh, however, I'm a little bit concerned um, about how your disease has evolved. And I'm not sure that Bell's palsy is insignificant. It could be a, a, a part of this. And I need to do more tests on you, including better imaging of your spinal cord uh, and repeating your brain MRI to see if you've got new lesions which may change the diagnosis. 
And we also need to look at the neuro, we also need to look at the spinal fluid to do neurofilament levels and OCBs. Um, for two reasons there, diagnostically, um, to help make the diagnosis, and also to help prognosticate. You know, if the neurofilament levels were raised, it would shift this patient into a poorer prognostic profile and, and make the case easier for giving or um, uh, well, offering disease modifying treatments. Um, yeah, if you've got any questions, please ask uh, online. I'll try and answer them. And uh, if you think this case is relevant to anybody you know, send them send them the link to the to the particular case study. And uh, if you haven't uh, subscribed, please subscribe. Um, I'm requiring uh, donations to help pay. I'm saying help because I don't think we have enough subscribers to pay for my medical writer and uh, um, uh, website designer. But that's not an issue. Um, MSLF remains free to all subscribers, uh, and I'm relying on paying subscribers to help create the uh, associated microsite that will be beautifully created, uh, so you can find or, or uh, recently diagnosed patients can find information much quicker, without having to trawl through hundreds of uh, MSLF newsletters. Um, <clears throat> thank you.